Transfiguration, coming down from the mountain, lifting the veil. A talk for the Sunday next before Lent. We call it the Transfiguration, and whether it was a cleverly devised myth or an extraordinary event with three disciples as eyewitnesses, the Transfiguration said so much about what the glory of God actually means. It added to Jesus' mythical status, placing him alongside Moses, Israel's lawgiver, and Elijah, Israel's great prophet, who stood with him on the mountaintop that day. Yes, Moses, who had previously met God on a mountain in thunder and lightning, trumpet sound and smoke. Moses, who had brought the Ten Commandments down from the mountain to the people. Ten words of justice for the people to live their lives by. When Jesus stood by Moses on the mountaintop that day, he stood with Moses and those laws he brought to the people. And Elijah, who had met God on a mountain in the storms and the earthquakes and the fire which passed by Elijah hiding in a mountaintop cave, a fugitive on the run from enemies whose prophets he had condemned to death because they refused to worship Israel's God. In ancient times, when people's justice was measured by the sacrifices they made to God, Elijah's harsh message made perfect sense. If you break your covenant with God, then you condemn yourself. And on the mountaintop, Jesus stood with Elijah in all his prophetic righteous power. So Peter, James and John saw that day Jesus as the Son of God, standing in the glory of God with the lawgiver and the covenant keeper. But notice that his transformation happened before Moses and Elijah appeared on the scene. The glory of Jesus that day wasn't a reflected glory based on the status of Moses and Elijah who came to stand with him. The glory of Jesus came first before those two greats even showed up. When God the Father spoke, he said, This is my Son, the Beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him, he said. Not to Moses, not Elijah, not to all three equally, but listen to him. Beyond the witness of Moses and the words of the commandments he brought, beyond Elijah's urging the people to live justly before God, from now on it is Jesus who the people should listen to. From now on it is Jesus who they should look to for guidance and inspiration. From now on, God, the Father of Jesus, wanted all to take notice, first and foremost, of him. So what is it about Jesus which sets him apart from Moses and Elijah? There's a clue in what each of them did when they came down from the mountain after their encounters with God. The book of Kings tells us that after Elijah came down from the mountain following his encounter with God, he got angry with his people who were making sacrifices to Baal and went straight off and in his righteous anger slaughtered 450 prophets of Baal. To stop these people's sacrifices, he enforced his own brand of human sacrifice. And the book of Exodus tells us that after Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the stone tablets of the law, his face shining with God's glory, he found his people worshipping a golden calf. In judgment, he turned the sons of Levi on the people, commanding them to kill their brothers, friends and neighbours, 3,000 dead as punishment for worshipping the calf. 
thus, just like Elijah, to stop another form of sacrifice, Moses enforced his own brand of human sacrifice. Remember how on the mountain together Peter had offered to set up three altars in honour of Jesus, Moses and Elijah. Now Jesus rejected his offer because Jesus knew what trouble altars cause. Altars are sacrificial places justified by the myth that one brand of human sacrifice can stop someone else's brand of human sacrifice. The glory of Elijah and Moses was tainted by their adherence to this myth of righteous violence. It's the same myth at work today in the borderlands of Russia and Ukraine where innocent lives are sacrificed in the cause of redeeming territory for one side or another. It's the myth we serve when we judge the safety and welfare of key workers as being less important than our own well-being and comfort. Now when Jesus came off the mountain of transfiguration, he returned to a people who, just like their ancestors, were still disobeying God's laws and in many ways breaking their covenant with him. A faithless and perverse generation, Jesus called them. But in sharp contrast to how Moses and Elijah had acted, Jesus took his place in the crowds who followed him. And when he heard the cry of a father desperate for his son to be healed of a form of possession, Jesus released the boy. Following his transfiguration, Jesus continued going out among the people, preaching peace and forgiveness to them, healing many. In compassion, Jesus stood above Jerusalem and wept for its people. He challenged those whose stern application of the religious laws made the people's lives difficult and whose harsh, if righteous, judgment on those who strayed from God's ways brought trouble to the land. Jesus put the last ones first, taught the meek they would inherit the earth and the poor they would be satisfied. His life and teachings stirred up the people's hearts, for he never condemned them, never insisted on the making sacrifices or being sacrificed for him. His intentionally anti-religious ways so scandalized the lawmakers and prophets of Israel, for it was such a radical departure from their ways that they had him sacrificed, had him crucified. But the story did not end there, it only just began. The transfiguration is a sign which points us to the resurrection as the sign that God sent his son into the world not to wield a righteous violence in a vain attempt to end all righteous violence, not to have others sacrificed on the altar of God, but instead to suffer being sacrificed for our sake, to forgive us for it, and in so doing to show us the way of God's totally non-violent way of love. Moses and Elijah were great leaders of the people, but they were trapped in the same myth which still directs the decisions and strategies of generals and freedom fighters and presidents and conspiracists today, and even ourselves, the deadly myth that sacrificial violence redeems. Jesus stands out from all of these in offering a different way, a non-violent way of love. His death and resurrection make it possible for us to know that we are held and can thus hold others in love. The message from heaven on the mountain of transfiguration singled out Jesus from those other two heroes of the faith as the voice of God said, 
listen to him. When we do so, as St. Paul says, it is like a veil being lifted from our minds. To this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed, he said. So whenever we take time to listen to him, to hear the message of the scriptures like we are doing here today, and whenever in prayer we are silent to give God room to speak to us, then the effect is that with unveiled faces, we see the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror. And this transforms us into ones who know we are held and can thus hold others in love. Listen to him. Might this be our intention this Lent?